just to talk about the legal documents, I think it's safe to say where there's a will, there's a way, Star. Oh, propensity to leak. That sounds wrong. And the ability to leak. He's an old man. (laughs) If he wants Greg to be his number two, ironic that he would then die fishing his phone out of someone else's number two. That really made me feel a bit sick, that I thought about his omelette nipples. I think Tom's already working, Marcia, via his Greglet. And now she's just been shafted by her brothers with a strap on. God. I would call it a gathering of ghouls. Not a gathering of ghoulies. There were a lot of ghoulies there. Sadly, too many, I'd argue. <laughs> this podcast was recorded remotely and may contain adult language and themes. Hello and welcome to TV DNA Succession, Season 4, Episode 4, Honeymoon States. My name is Adam Henning and he's a man who lives on Wonder Bread and Steak Fruits. It's Neil Shepek. Friends, Romans... Country men, lend me your ears. I want to hear what you think. And she's constitutionally well equipped at this point to take on the role. It's Grace Chapman. Would anyone care for a look at the China? <laughs> and here to speculate in a comic mode, a humorous vein, it's Damien Cooper. Same old, but with a new vibey plan. <laughs> Right, so another fantastic episode after the bombshell of last week. Now, Grace, you weren't with us last week. You were off on your holidays. How did you find episode three? And are you still grieving? Big time, big time, yeah. I mean, of all the TV DNA podcasts I could have missed, that was gutting. Wow, I mean, I mean, amazing. I think like you, Damo, I had it ever so slightly spoiled before I watched it, but it didn't take away from the magnitude of that episode. It was phenomenal. I I was thinking about it for days and days afterwards. So, yeah, thrilled to be back to talk about this next one. And and Neil, you may have watched that episode three again since we recorded the podcast. Is that (laughs) that fair to say? Yeah, I've watched it about eight times. I've been really obsessed with it over the last week and watching lots of YouTube interviews and all the various stuff that's been released and the trailer for the second half of the season. Yeah, I'm completely hooked. I'm an addict. Also, I don't know if we, if you, I can't remember if you mentioned this in the podcast, but that it's it's now been voted on IMDb as the greatest episode of all time of TV. And it's taken over Breaking Bad, and I'm not going to get the name right, Oxymandis. Ozymandis. Thank you, Ozymandis, which was up there and held the top spot for a long time, but now Connor's wedding day. Well deserved. Indeed. Well, let's get into this episode then. So, Damo, do you want to give us your first thoughts on this one? Gosh, the vultures are circling, man, and it's just really interesting watching everyone play whatever card they have left. I mean, outside of Team Sibs, then as we get to that second half of the episode and we see the unravelling of the Sibs, just another really well-made episode of TV, I think. And clearly well thought out as well. And considering we've still got, what, another six episodes, there's so much left to play for and and so much more to be unravelled. Yeah, indeed. Well, speaking of unravelling, should we talk about this opening of this episode? Because we had a, a bit of a, a an eye-opener here, right? Had anyone seen this coming? I mean, Matthew Jameson, my colleague at work, you all know, he claims to have known or have predicted this beforehand. But we find out in the opening that, that Shiv is pregnant. 
Yeah. And I was trying to remember the last time we'd even sort of had a conversation between Shiv and Tom about this. And I remembered it was their mum's wedding and they talk about embryo lollipops or something, baby lollipops or something like that, about putting their embryos on ice. But it's it's around that time of their really fucked up, dirty talk. So it's just all really a really confusing time. But this was, I mean, as if they, Logan dies, and then they're like, oh, and by the way, guys, she was pregnant, deal with it. Well, the thing is, obviously, she hasn't told anyone yet, but she's spoken to the doctor, and the results are healthy. So she already knew there was a potential. Like, she was already aware of that. Could any more shit be put on Shiv's plate to deal with? She's a strong woman, but there's only so much you can take. Now, I don't know if you're ready for this yet, but I immediately, in my notes, put, who's the father? Yeah, I did wonder. I I had, like, is it Tom's? Did she have sex with anyone else? And I was trying, I don't think we've seen that, have we? We don't think, I don't we have any sort of evidence of that in the show itself. But they have been estranged for a while. No, there, there is evidence. There was that guy that she kind of slightly cheated on Tom with. And also, spoilers, but in the trailer for the second half of this season, I'm pretty sure he appears. Oh, that's interesting because we haven't seen him, certainly. Well, when did we even see him in much of Series 3? I think a lot of time has passed between Series 3 and Series 4, right? And so, and it was quite early on in the series she was, she'd stopped seeing him in, in Series 3, that is. So it's, I'd say a significant amount of time has passed, but, you know, it's something that could have happened off camera, as it were. Well, what's the timeline between season three and season four? I don't know if I'm clear on that at all. So I think there's definitely, I think there are, I think we don't know right now. And I think that's obviously, as ever with Succession, the ambiguity is so clever. And in my head, I think season four, has, has it been a day at a time so far? Yes, I think so. Yeah. It's not been very long at all in season four, but I can't remember whether we had any jumps in season three or not. It could well be quite a short space of time across those two seasons. And and Neil, you know, could well be right. I had not remembered about that stuff. I mean, she doesn't look thrilled about it, does she? So it probably is Tom's. (laughs) (laughs) If we're done with that, there's something else that we see before the titles. So the episode actually opens on Ken looking absolutely destroyed. And then we cut to Roman, who is more upbeat, rinsing his mouth out from the the sink in the bathroom. And then we cut to Shiv, full-on grieving, in bed, completely, all at sea. And then she gets that phone call. So what's interesting is, as a kind of portentous, I guess, to to how we're going to see the three kids going, they are isolated from each other. We saw at the end of the last episode, they all went their separate ways after that hug, but they are very much separate from each other. Yeah, and just showing that private grieving as well. And that, just mentioning the titles, I know how much you love titles, Adam, but that final shot in the titles where you've got the four kids stood there and as kids, and then what looks probably Logan, but he walks out a shot and they all turn and look like, why, why are you going? It's been used hugely um, in the past, but after last week's episode, that suddenly had a bigger resonance for me. Yeah, definitely. I think that later on, she has a conversation with Tom, doesn't she? And we get a bit more insight into kind of how she's feeling because she sort of says, we killed him. You know, we were the ones who made him get on the plane 
and now he'll never meet her child. And she doesn't say this to Tom, obviously, but no, but, yeah. but she does mention he'll never be a grandparent that takes his grandchildren to bed. Um, and yeah, obviously that that rang out for those uh, well for the audience. Yeah, we have the mention of grandchildren a couple of times, don't we, through the episode? So you know they talk about Ken's kids, and I mean I can't remember if we've talked about this, but I'm sure at the very beginning, maybe even in the pilot, doesn't Roman have a kid? And we never see. I'm sure there is a kid that is. I mean I know Ken's kids were never to be seen again. Um, Roman but... could never get it up, apart from to wank off with Jerry, like like. That, that was the whole thing with his girlfriend early on, is that he could never get it up. Yeah, I think we definitely would have had more reference to them if they if they existed, his kids. Pretty confident he doesn't. Should we talk about the, the, the other sort of big thing in this then is, is Kendall, right? They feel like still quite united for the early part of the episode. But once this piece of paper comes out with Kendall's name on it, he's then increasingly convinced that it's his destiny, right, to be CEO and starts working to fight for that. Do we think it's underlined or crossed out? <laughs> it's a nightmare. I've been looking at it a lot. I've probably got it. I looked at it as much as Kendall. It starts underlined and then it crosses out, which I think is such a like simple way of showing Kendall and Logan's relationship throughout the whole series. Is it's like, yeah, 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 Kendall. Nah, not Kendall. It's so good. I mean, all the ambiguity around the crossing out all the ambiguity about the dating of the paper, you know, it's just, it's, it's keeping the, is he dead, isn't he dead, energy rolling forward of questioning everything. And it's just so clever. But you know what I was thinking about when Kendall almost, yeah, suddenly becomes really determined and really certain that he's, this is meant to be for him. I just really thought about, I think it's series one or two when someone asks Kendall why he did something and he goes, because my dad told me to. And I was like, that's that's the Kendall. He's, he's thinking his dad just told him to do it and he's just going to go and do it. So, yeah. But then we have that bit at the end, which we'll talk about, where he goes and flips. So, it's so, so interesting. The thing is, we kind of got the amalgamation of two Kendalls. So there's the Kendall in the first couple of series that was so ambitious and so ruthless. And then he's gone through this kind of period of interreflection and, you know, realising how much he actually loves his family and his dad. Um, and initially in this episode, he very much goes to the other two and says, you know, what's your thoughts? And he's making a deal but I do think he genuinely cares about Shiv and Roman and what they can offer. Um, well, not just what they can offer, but what they can offer him emotionally so that he's got support and family around him. So, yeah, I think I think we're <laughs> he's probably got a good angel on one side and a bad angel on the other now. Yeah, he has that. He talks about having a therapy session in the middle of the night. Right. He's got a great grief guy. So he is sort of adjusting to all of this. But his face, so they've got this piece of paper and his face when they say that it says Kendall to take over as CEO is just brilliant. And then the look between Shiv and Roman as that happens. And then the other thing I want to talk about is the conversation he has with Stewie. So we get Stewie and Sandy back, both Sandys in this episode, not the only returning character. We'll talk about her later on. <laughs> Ken, Kendall tells Stewie that his, his dad wanted him to take over. You know, it's, this is now a cold hard fact for Kendall, regardless of the piece of paper isn't dated and how whether it's legal or not. 
he is now convinced that his dad wanted him to take over. And he says, I feel like he, he didn't like me. I disappointed him. And Stewie says he was an old bastard and he loved you. He loved you. And it was just, yeah, kind of the voice he needed to hear, really, to give him that confidence. Yeah, and it gives, I don't know, it was quite an emotional thing. And it shows, and we find out later, that actually Stewie does back him. Even after the amazing line, my pubes got a little singed the last time I went with you. And, <laughs> and then Kendall goes, this has to happen. And I thought Stewie might fuck him up because he's done that before. But I was really impressed when later on Stewie stuck up for him. I think what I found interesting about Kendall is he he really wanted to power forward. Like the Sibs, they were they as soon as this kind of tension arose, they started going back into not talking, not communicating, you know, taking bites out of each other. And he just was like, no, we're not going to do this. We're going to try. We have to try and talk. And we have to go in there united. And it was interesting that he he's just determined to not go backwards with them, just to move forwards as a group. Obviously, pretty handy that he's at the top. But, you know, he really, I felt like he wanted to take his arms around Shiv and Roman and like push everyone forward and just pop Connor in the other room. <laughs> well, he did, basically. Yeah, he's worried they're going to lose it to the Keystone fucks. I'm not sure. So I think it's all good intentions, this edging of Shiv out. But I think realistically, Shiv is well on the way out. And then we end up with two brothers that are running the company or the empire, as it's known. And one of them is called Romulus. So it doesn't <laughs> look good for Kendall, a.k.a. Remus, I'd say. Yeah, well, they have this conversation, don't they? That it's basically either one of them or it's the old guard. And so, and it can't be the old guard. It has to be one of them. And then the way they sort of elbow Shiv out of that is just pretty horrendous. Roman's a COO and close to Matson, so he has to be involved. So they decide they're going in for the two of them to be Kendall as CEO, Roman as COO. But Shiv has no experience. She did the strategic review, but that was daddy make work. And they just can't see the board going for three of them running it. They do squeeze her out, although they promise that it's going to be the three of them behind the scenes. I mean, yeah, she calls them up on She tries to call them up on it. Like, oh, is it because I've got my eyes are full of mascara and, you know, I feel a bit faint. I loved that tiny little bit of fight back from Shiv calling out exactly what it is. You know, Logan never wanted her because she was a girl. I really believe that. And I think that's been inherited by Kendall and Roman. And I was, I really just was so frustrated for Shiv and seething like she was by the end. What I really loved during that scene was Roman's line that, well, two is like fucking, three is like some weird orgy for hippies. And, you know, that, that was the only way he could express that actually it would be better if it was just two. Because, you know, everyone prefers fucking to a weird orgy with hippies. I would say Logan was very partial to a menage a trois, except the two ladies were separate during the time of, of fucking. I think also it's very savvy for them to push Shiv out of the way because it's a great excuse to say, oh, you have no experience in the business even though she was quite capable and had her own quite serious political career uh, behind the scenes. And like I've said before, and I know, Grace, you are also part of the Team Shiv gang, for life um, is 
she's the most serious of the three of them. And now they've managed to to edge her out. Well, it, it doesn't take long for Kendall to start making decisions on his own, right? And this is so brilliantly set up, I think, throughout the episode. When Kendall first arrives right at the top, he overhears Hugo on the phone complaining about being fucked in the ass with a strap on. And Hugo later approaches Kendall to explain that his daughter, Juliet, sold Waystar stock yesterday. Total coincidence, there's no way that she could have known that Logan had died before she sold all of the stock. Will Kendall sort it all out for him? And then right at the very end, we get this scene with Carolina and Hugo talking about the different PR options. Yeah, we either go with Logan was brilliant and this is a changing of the guard. It's either Operation Embalm Lenin or Operation Shit on Dad. And Roman and Kendall in the room go with Operation Embalm Lenin. But then Kendall has another look at the piece of paper. I think he definitely sees that it's crossed out at this point and thinks, what would Logan do? And goes back to Hugo and says, let's do the bad dad version, unless you want me to pull out the strap on. That was fantastic. Let's remember those are two different scenes. So Roman makes it really clear that he's absolutely not going to shit on his dad. As I said many times last episode, I think Roman really does love his dad. And I don't think he would betray his memory. And it's because thanks, Carolina. And you too, fuckface. But maybe don't ever bring this disgusting shit up again. Hmm? And so Kendall would have obviously heard that he's in the room. So he knows where Roman's head is at. And so that final scene, you know, it's all on the lowdown. And Hugo says, well, surely we should run this by Carolina and Roman. And he goes, no, unless you want me to bring the strap on end of the episode he knows that roman won't be happy yeah and i think as well he knows that um well he knows that hugo is a leak he knows that's what happened originally so he can he's he knows that hugo has the you know what's the word the propensity oh propensity to leak that sounds wrong and the ability to leak he's an old man <laughs> it's a bit of a, a side street to go down narratively but because we talked about that scene and then scenes with the old guard. I just love how Carolina plays everything. Just so smooth with it as well. Like she's always making sure she's safe. She's always heavily relied upon, but she never, ever, for want of a better term, exposes herself. So when they go to look at the China, she's not bigging herself up. She's very quietly deciding who she's going to hitch her wagon to. And I think in that scene, particularly at the end, when they're talking about the different ways they could play this or spin this, she doesn't put a foot wrong with her new boss or bosses, should I say. She doesn't. But as far as succession, what has she got to gain other than keeping her job? It made me think about the potential, not impartiality, but the, well, like Colin, you know, who we now know does jeans. They're doing their jobs. And what else can she do? I don't completely agree with you, Damon. I, I think she wants the best thing for the company, whatever that story is, whoever it goes for. Like, she doesn't have a vote on, you know, who the new CEOs will be. I think, just to sort of back this up a bit, but I think that, you know, when the old guard are in that room looking at the China, they talk about the kids being screw-ups and dipshits. But I think Carolina is quite often the only person in the room who isn't a screw-up or a dipshit. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, I don't think Carolina's looking to, to take over. I think she's looking to make sure she stays just underneath the top 
but stays there because, okay, so she's not going to run whatever that particular media empire is called, whatever three letters are used at that point to call it. But she's making a fuck ton of money doing that job. That That's how I see it. She's like you said, Adam, she's a sensible person in the room. Just get her and Shiv in charge. And not Jerry. Mm, TPC on Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old Jerry. Well, Carolina thinks Jerry should have the job. Let's stick with the old guard because we we haven't had much Carl and Frank in a while. So it was great to get some gems from them in this in this episode. And with Jerry as well. But do we really want Carl? I mean, he blocks toilets. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I loved the quantity and the quality of the Carl and Frank in this episode. It was so good. When they were in that room with China and then Carl just absolutely read Tom. It's just amazing. What does he call him? A clumsy interloper. You're a clumsy interloper and no one trusts you. The only guy pulling for you is dead. You're just married to the ex-boss's daughter and she doesn't even like you. <laughs> and he starts that off by saying, let me tell you how it looks as a friend. Yeah. I think even uh, before that, the scene when they find a piece of paper and Frank shows it to him and says, oh, look at this. And they say, the princess isn't going to be happy. And so who do we think the princess is? Has to be Shiv, surely. Okay, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, I wondered if Kerry thought misguidedly that it might be her. But yeah, you're right. It's the princess. Of course it's Shiv. Yeah. But I love the conversation about they find this piece of paper. We don't know what's on it yet. Might it just go away? You know, I hope it doesn't get lost. Uh, a wobbly hand, a draft might take it. And it might get flushed down the toilet. I'm just speculating in a comic mode. But yeah, I did wonder when we when that piece of paper came out whether we would ever find out what was on it, right? But obviously we did later on. Even though it's not germane, it ends up being quite significant. Any more on Carl and Frank and co? Well, I know we've already sort of touched on it, but I honestly think that the visual image of Carl blocking the toilet after 20 years of stake three and Logan dying, fishing his phone out of it, not wearing compression socks, is going to be one of my all-time favourite TV mental images ever. Oh, no, really? <laughs> yes, it's so good. <laughs> Just these two, like, I don't know, the thought of Logan is like American Titan trying to fish his phone out of the bog. <laughs> this is part of the... When they're talking about that piece of paper, I'm not sure if we should start, but just talking about cousin Greg, when he gets uh-huh. called in and gets told that his name's on the piece of paper and it takes every fibre of his being not to be obviously excited and happy about it. It's amazing. Well, Greg the Doodle. Greg the Doodle. That was one of my absolute favourite bits because they say you're an addendum in pencil with a question mark. I mean, never never a truer sentence about Greg. And then he goes, nevertheless. (laughs) (laughs) It's a wonder. (laughs) It certainly is. You know, maybe the natural conclusion is that Logan wanted him to be Ken's number two. You know, I mean, what else could you read into the fact that the name Greg with a question mark was written on a piece of paper? If he wants Greg to be his number two, ironic that he would then die fishing his phone out of someone else's number two. (laughs) (laughs) Greg does have some of my favourite moments in the episode. One is after the board vote when he's shouting, long live the king, long live the king. And the other king. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it was Greg who was doing that. 
Of course it was. But my other That's moment awesome. is with Marsha. Greg and Marsha, I thought, were really, really brilliant. We haven't seen Marsha in quite a long time. Good to have her back in the show. Where do you want to start with these guys? Sorry for your loss. Uh, likewise. <laughs> I think Greg and Marsha is the alliance that we didn't know we needed, guys. It was like, yeah, another classic example of man-child and far more ruthless, intelligent, savvy woman. Kendall didn't know she was back yet, and she's already making herself the mater familius. She's making sure that everyone knows that she was Logan's wife. Yeah, and she claimed that that they both spoke intimately every evening, even whilst he was with Kerry. That really made me feel a bit sick, that I thought about his omelette nipples. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of them having faux sex, <laughs> and Roman saying, I can do faux sex if you like. What I liked about that moment before her saying that they spoke intimately every evening, I think before that she said, yes, we were still very close. We spoke every morning and afternoon. And then in the next sentence, she ups it by saying they spoke to each other intimately every night. So it's almost like she put that first line out. It didn't feel like it resonated enough. And so she upped the ante to make it seem that there was still a kind of physical connection as well as maybe a, a romantic one between the two of them. Well, we get this a lot, don't we, throughout the whole episode, basically. is What were Logan's wishes and his actions and what can be verified? I mean, when we when we see poor Kerry later on, she says that they were talking about getting married and that he was going to write a note. We have the guy making the speech about him, his obituaries. There's kind of all these different... His legacy in so many different ways. But actually, because he was such a kind of private man, guarded man a man who bullshitted a lot, right? He told people things and then went back on it. I mean, again, there's a line, I think, that Frank says, Logan was a man of different moods. So it kind of nobody can really say anything with any certainty about what he actually wanted. I mean, I assume there is going to be a will at some point. Well, I mean, there has to be. And that kind of reminds me of the reviews coming in, mostly five stars. And she says, I'd love to meet Dad. Like, that's not the person, you know, I know. And also... As as siblings, the way that they reacted to the various uh, different reviews that were giving being thrown to them, my favourite is probably well connected. Well, that's generally accepted to be euphemism for paedophile. And after another one, yeah, he wouldn't even hug his grandkids. Just to talk about the kind of legal documents now that he's died, I think it's safe to say where there's a will, there's a way. Star. Ooh. Oh, come Very on, good. come on, give me a break. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Logan is looming very large, isn't he, still, over everyone and everything. And I love that he's still fucking with them, even from beyond the grave. But just to just to circle back on Marsha ever so slightly, I think what I love when she's in an episode or hanging around is she... This is a woman who does business differently. She does it with a spit and a handshake. And... You know, everybody else is like manoeuvring pawns, chess playing, manipulating. This woman, she just has a very different energy. And when it comes and clashes with them, it's golden TV. Yeah, 63 million for the apartment is what <laughs> she spits and shakes hands with Connor on it there and then. Brilliant. I mean, she works Connor amazingly, right? I don't even necessarily know how serious Connor is when he starts that conversation. And before he knows it, the deal's done. Once again, man-child, completely outdone by a savvy, capable woman. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, she completely sells it. I mean, she controls pretty much everything. I mean, she did early on. She does in this episode. I mean, if we can move on to Kerry, when Kerry turns up, it's like she's not going upstairs. And she's like, but I've got stuff of mine. Well, I've already packed it and it's down here. You know, you're not going. And then she gets taken out the back. Yeah. Before that scene happens, we see Marsha come out of a room with the security guy. What have they been doing? What are you suggesting? I'm actually not suggesting anything filthy. I wonder if there's some angling, some deals being made. Because he now is out of a job. Yeah. My favourite bit of this scene i mean carrie's a mess and you know she has been uber bitch so it was quite satisfying to see her being a bit of a mess but greg loves it right greg absolutely loves it he's sticking the knife in so much (laughs) it just it was brilliant (laughs) the fact that roman asked her for her number (laughs) quite a few times i mean she then also asked him if he could check emails and find the notes, etc. So there was that side of it. But the first time before he even knew about this potential note or email or, or whatever, he was like, can I have your private number? So uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see where that goes. Yeah, totally. Again, I think this episode was all about new unexpected alliances. And who knows, maybe Roman and Kerry could be one. But just to just to talk about Greg's the way that he was essentially commentating what was going on. He was like, oh, she's coming over. Oh, it's so distasteful. Oh, here come the waterworks. <laughs> he was such a little bitch. I think that's genuine. I think Roman asking for her number is genuine because he comes running in. He's like, what's going on? Why is she crying? So whether it is in so much as he wants that have some power in the situation. I think it's more that he sees someone who is equally upset about the passing of Logan and wants to make sure that she isn't hard done by. I think I, it's genuine. I, I think there's an element to that. My, what I was saying about getting her number wasn't about getting some kind of power. I think it was about getting a shag. I'm saying I think it's genuine. I, I don't think it's to do with that. I don't think he's looking to get his flaccid penis away. <laughs> I think it's it's. I think it's genuine. I want to move us on to talk about another character now. Um, and that character is Tommy Wommy, tightrope Tommy, <laughs> tiptoe Tommy, lip balm Tom Wom. Oh, Tom. I mean, Tom was a bit of a desperate man in this episode. And when Tom is a desperate man, he gets quite scary, I think. Like the way that he cornered individually Kendall and Roman and Shiv different tactics on them. Like the Kendall one where he said, you know, words have been said you know, I take them back. I, I I think, you know, I immediately thought of that episode, that scene in the diner with Ken. Ken's trying to get him on side and he says, you know, I've seen you get fucked. I've never seen Logan get fucked. And it's like the way that Succession are able to like, just remind you of the, a scene that happened like a series before or two series, just amazing. And then with Roman, I mean, Roman saw through it right away. But the Shiv one, oh, that made me feel really uncomfortable. Roman's not stupid. I think he sees through most people straight away. I don't think at any point he's been hoodwinked and he's not afraid of just saying it as he sees it. (laughs) I mean, his phrase was lip balm, Tom Wom, lubing up his lips to kiss my butt. And how much would you pay to do that to Roman's butt, Neil? (laughs) (laughs) 63 million? Fair enough, a bargain. That Shiv-Tom scene, I think that that relationship between the two of them is really interesting. For me, that particular scene had a bit of, and, and apologies for those who aren't fans of Shakespeare, 
but it had that real Richard the Third over the coffin trying to woo Lady Anne vibe. Like it was just so manipulative and just really creepy. And oh, I just thought it was excellent Machiavellian behavior. Well, I think he's really interesting. He gets knocked back by Kendall, right? Kendall says, I like you, Tom. Good luck but he doesn't get anywhere with him. He goes and tries with Shiv and has a conversation with Shiv. And as you say, really, really creepy. You know, he put his arm around her and asked her, do you like this repeatedly until she eventually said, I like it all. But he also says things like, you know, let me show you some kindness. He's he's trying to find a way back in. What I think he does with Roman, which I think is what shows his intention throughout this episode, is he gives Roman pause for thought. He says here to serve. And he, he reminds Roman that Roman was the one that Logan wanted back in, right? It was Roman. That was actually Logan's wishes, was that Roman came and did the Matson deal. And you see Roman thinking about that afterwards. And what I think Tom's trying to do is basically sow dissension between the siblings. He knows that those ties are not strong at all. And if he just pokes and prods and pulls a little bit, they will turn on each other and eventually everyone will collapse until he's the last man standing. He knows he's got nobody else on his side and he's no, you know, he knows he's got no hope right now. But if he just stays there until everybody else disintegrates around him. It feels like that I'm here to serve is the new we here for you. <laughs> I mean, look, I'd like to see Tom try and take on Marsha. That would be the ultimate, ultimate test for him. But yeah, I mean, the more I spend time with Tom this series, the more I think I agree with what Adam said in the last podcast, that he's just an evil fucker. I think Tom's already working Marsha via his Greglet. He knows he can't take Marsha on directly, so he's dropped his little Greglet in there to insinuate himself with her, get her, get on her side, find out what she's up to and what she's doing, stay close to Marsha, what do you know, what can you find out? I think Tom's got a plan for Marsha too. <laughs> I think as well the way that Matthew McFadden has slightly changed his performance this series, he feels quite velvety. <laughs> like he's just kind of softly spoken, but kind of like fluid and sort of it's he feels snaky and weird. And I don't, yeah, I don't, I just don't like it. He's always been a bit snaky and weird. I know but he's also been really funny and I feel like now the fu- it's getting less funny because he's getting more creepy. So even the funny lines are just like, oh. Yeah, c- can I just loop back for something earlier about Shiv and Tom? When the siblings are first sat down and Tom turns up, I think Shiv says something along the lines of, for some of us it's a sad day, but for others it's coronation, demolition, derby. And then she sees Tom and there's a softening there's like, a, oh, I, I think I'm going to have to tell him. I think I'm going to have to have a conversation. And then Greg walks in behind him and she immediately hardens. And I wondered if seeing Greg reminded her of the disgusting brothers and made the decision like, now, fuck this. I'm done with this guy. Yeah, definitely. I think Shiv is constantly going between a, a softness and maybe memories of when there were good times and then this more recent painful memories and I think Sarah Snook is phenomenal at that and just while we're on Shiv I thought the final sort of five minutes of her when she was walking through god I mean it the anxiety that I was feeling and then the tumble it really reminded me of the last sort of five ten minutes of Kenfest 
you remember when it was just so tense and then I think Roman pushes Kendall over and it's just it's, it's quite shocking and obviously you know she's pregnant and so any fall is always a little bit oh god I just really felt for her a lot and amazing from Sarah Snook as ever. Yeah, absolutely. The close-ups on her face, and clearly she feels very betrayed. I, I think she probably knows, because she's possibly the smartest of all of them, as to what they're doing. And then, yeah, combine that with all the anxiety she's going through with being pregnant. And if the results are healthy, that means she must be so far down the line. So obviously she's not showing yet. You know, that that must have been a concern and a fear of hers, as you say, as she tumbles. Yeah, absolutely amazing performance. I'm not sure how much of that reaction to Tumble is about the pregnancy. It's more that she's been completely sidelined, hoodwinked by her brothers. She's come out to what should have been the three of them together, but they just say the king, the king, the king, and the boys immediately don't look at her. She's left to walk off. She says to Stewie, what are you fucking laughing for? This is a wake. Then she tumbles. I think it's more a case of like things were already bad. And now I've fucking fallen over in front of everyone. I look even weaker. They've mm. already said I'm emotional. You know, all the bullshit that comes around with these terms that get used for women that don't get used for men. And then she falls like, yeah. oh, no, the dam's in distress. What chance did she ever have? I think it's a combination of both. Like they've obviously added into the narrative this pregnancy. And I do think that there was so much going on in her head that she can't cope with. And now she's just been shafted by her brothers with a strap on. God. I mean, when you're talking about like, there's so much going on in her head, she even says it, you know, she's like, she says something on the Matson phone call and she's like, oh, I don't know why I said that. Her mind is split in two and, and Shiv, Shiv doesn't like that. And also I don't think Shiv likes to be embarrassed and that tumble was embarrassing. So it's everything like humiliation is one of the most like, most difficult emotions to kind of get over. And I think all of it's been humiliating. And on top of all that, Jared Menkin is on the way. <laughs> Do we remember Jared Menkin? Isn't he the other candidate for presidency? He is. So in the, I think in season three, he's the guy that Roman flirts with. They're trying to decide who they should back for president. It's not going to be Greg. You mean Greg or Connor? I meant Greg. Greg never <laughs> stood for president. No, I know, I know. I'm trying to be funny. Um, but Shiv is completely anti this guy. He's right wing. She doesn't want to be in the photo with him. They want to have this family photo at the end of that episode. And she has to be, she's basically ordered to be in the photo by Logan. And it was one of those times where Logan chose Roman's option or was persuaded by Roman ahead of Shiv. So it was, again, a reminder that Logan often didn't go with her advice or opinions. Mm -hmm. And almost certainly he's going to be playing a part in the upcoming episodes as well, as is Matson, who we just mentioned, right? Before you move on to Matson, can I just say, yeah, he's definitely going to make a huge part of these episodes, particularly as Connor is taking Willa on a honeymoon around a whole load of states. I mean, could that be part of his campaign? Is that a honeymoon? Yeah, it's a lovely little moment where she acknowledges they're going on a campaigning honeymoon trip. Any thoughts on the Matson phone call? We don't actually hear from Matson, do we? It's from his aide. Awkward as fuck. Yeah, it's just classic, like, power play, isn't it, really? I don't really know. I haven't, we haven't seen Matson in a while, so I don't really know, have many thoughts on him. I feel like he's been a bit distant. Who's going to blink first? And sadly, Team Sibs have itchy eyes. And I think Shiv blinks. And they all go, why the fuck did you do that? 
Roman is not really strong enough. I think a real corporate shark could taste blood in the water with Roman. And I think Ken is too volatile. But so I think on all three parts in the triumvirate, none of them are strong enough to take on Matson yet. And I think that's what this all is, right? It's all just trying to remind them that Matson is the top dog. Do we think Kendall's going to see the deal through or is he going to fuck it up? Because they all keep saying, we all still want the deal. Everyone still wants the deal to happen. And it hasn't yet, right? And they they want them to get there out, out there in the next 24 hours and get it done. And I just wonder whether Kendall's going to be capable of doing that or whether that's going to be, again, the start of a bit of an ego or power trip for Kendall. Well, to be honest, as far as we know, Kendall and Roman are equals. And it was Roman who set up the whole Masson deal. I thought it was really funny when Cousin Greg came in to make his condolences and just wanted to check how things will shake down. And Roman was saying, well, you need to get a new mummy. I'm getting a call here. Can you maybe, well, fuck off? now and Madison phones and they don't answer so they've got a little bit of time and then when they do return the call and they go don't get Lucas or Madison directly Roman says he's rounding up his chimpanzee friends and they need to have a bit of time to think and they check out whether they've heard Shiv says a pretty fluid group i.e. we're flexible. So who knows where that will go? I'm not sure if it's a funeral or a wake or exactly what this gathering of people was because we never saw a funeral. Maybe it was after a funeral of him. But yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting as to who... I think Roman has got more cards up his sleeve than Kendall does. I think it's not a wake. It's more a case of needs must. The business needs to be dealt with. A successor needs to be crowned. And therefore the court needs to be around the new king. I think that's what this is. Everyone is there to stake their claim or to be around whoever is staking their claim under the thin guise of we're all mourning, Logan. I would call it a gathering of ghouls. Oh, (laughs) Not a gathering of ghoulies. (laughs) There were a lot of ghoulies there, sadly too many, I'd argue. (laughs) Right, any final thoughts then on this episode? Grace Chapman. I have one final thought. I thought we could play the game. Where have I seen you before? Oh, I didn't recognise you with your clothes on. Yeah, I've got one for you. Where have we seen the man who is making the speech about Adam's got his hands up? Well, he was making the speech about Logan passing and we hear about the clogged toilet. Where have we seen him before? Adam. Well, I have seen him very, very recently, an awful lot, because he's in all three seasons of Barry as Ron Fuchs. I'm not sure whether that's the one that you mean. A greatly loved show between all of us, potentially all one of our top shows ever. Is it Better Call Saul? No. Should I tell you? It's gone for a while. He is one of Vinick's advisors in the West Wing. Really? Stephen Root is the actor's name. He plays Bob Mayer in the West Wing and he's in the final series as one of Vinick's campaign managers. And the minute I saw him, I was like, oh, my God. So clever. He's absolutely quality. Yeah, I got his name wrong in Barry. He's, his, the character's name's Monroe Fuchs. But he does pretend to be a guy called Ron Goulet. Or Ken Goulet. No, I, I think he's Ron in this. I don't know where I got Ron from. More Goulets. <laughs> my Goulets, my lovely Goulets, as Greg might say. What I do think we need to talk about... I mean, it's not a big part, but it definitely is a comic relief, is Willa and her mum. Oh, yes. Yeah, I agree. This is going to develop. Willa's mum's plate is literally groaning under the weight of the food. She does know she can go back. Oh, she's dropped the grapes. (laughs) 
I mean, at one point, Willa is literally talking out loud about how they're going to redecorate the rooms yeah. that they're all in. Like, it's just so blatant. And she's talking about making more space. <laughs> but clearly, Willa's mum is 100%. I mean, she's another vulture, a different kind of vulture, but she's another vulture amongst all of this. The, the conversation when Willa arrives between Marsha as well. My God, women sniping at each other, ruthless. <laughs> the claws are definitely out at that point. Marsha says, congratulations, look how far you've come. And then Willa stops, looks at her and says, well, look how far we've both come. <laughs> Me, yeah. ouch. Delicious. Grand, any more for any more? I want to ask Grace. So last episode, we started a question as to who do we think will actually succeed? As you know, with a lot of different CBDNA shows, we have like a kind of sweet steak that goes on. We all made our predictions. What is yours? It's got to be Shiv. And I would also like to say that whoever said it was Greg last week about me, I think it was Adam. I am team Shiv till I die. Shiv all the way. Let's go, Shiv. I had you back, mate. Thank you. Real recognise real. I'm just surprised you're both sticking with that after this week's episode. Oh, I think Shiv's revenge arc is going to be great. And also, the three of us that did last week's episode, we can't change now. Surely that's in the rules. So it's not about demo sticking. It's about giving Grace an opportunity to make her choice. Yeah, Shiv. Shiv, 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 Shiv. Only serious person in the room. <laughs> okay, let's get you. I'm going to give you a minute to get your favourite line of the episode ready. And whilst you're doing that, I'm going to let our listeners know to check out our specials on Ted Lasso, The Mandalorian, and Yellow Jackets, and our weekly watch list episodes. And this week, we talked about Colin from Accounts and Obsession. And next week, we'll be talking about Malpractice all spoiler free and you can also get in touch with us on the social media at tvdnapod or by emailing tvdnapod at gmail.com my favorite line of the episode is a response to tom just wants the chance to serve he says he's sick with grief and jerry says put down the fish taco you're getting your melancholy everywhere damn it that was gonna be mine (laughs) sorry grace that's okay. I'm going to go with, it's actually not like a really funny line, but I think it was the way that Kendall delivered it. He just said, yeah, considering our dad just died, maybe we shouldn't shit on dad. There's so many to choose from, as with every episode of Succession. I think the one that's still in my mind is about a lip-balmed Tom Wom moving up his lips to kiss Roman's butt. Goodness me. I have two to be a cheat. The first one is Kendall's I'm twin track. I'm alive and dead. But the one I think we should definitely end on is one that Roman said, which is, this is a lovely gang of pals having a chat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks all. We'll see you all next week for more Succession. We are all obviously missing Brian Cox from the show, but we can be safe in the knowledge that Logan Roy will be running rolling news in heaven. Bye. Bye. Bye.